0: Hey friend, this is Ben Liston, Senior Pastor of the First Church of God. I want to personally thank you for joining us today here on our podcast. I hope the message is challenging, encouraging, and build your faith. Now enjoy the message. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, we're going to begin reading in verse number 40. Acts chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 40. The Bible says, And with many other words, He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as any one had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy, inerrant, and infallible Word. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for what our hearts have felt here today. Lord, we are thankful for the wonderful testimony that we have heard this morning. We're thankful for the wonderful worship that we have partaken in this morning. Lord, we now come to the most important time of the service, not because of who I am, but because of who You are And because of your eternal word. So Lord, I ask that now as we open your word, that you would give us spiritual eyes to see what thus saith the Lord. Speak to our hearts. May we turn off all the distractions and focus on you and you alone and what the Spirit wants to say to us. Lord, I ask that you would fill me with your Spirit. Empty me of myself. Hide me behind the cross of Jesus. Lord, may you do the preaching today. I ask it all in Jesus' name. And the Sunday morning crowd said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Today we begin a new sermon series entitled, Have You Seen the Church? If you think about that question, that is a rather profound question. Most people would answer that question with, "Well, yes, yes. I've seen the church. It's right up. It's right up the road on the left." Or some people would say, "Oh, yeah, I, I've seen that church, or I've been to that church, and I don't ever want to go back." Over the next several weeks, we are going to walk through the scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit of God to open our eyes to see God's church. You see, God's church is not a building, it's not a social club, it's not a specific denomination of believers, but it is the redeemed bride of Christ. It is holy, it has been set apart. The Church of God Reformation Movement has been proclaiming this truth since its inception. The hymn writer Charles Naylor put to music and pinned the words of the great hymn. And I, I've asked Lisa to hang out up here for just a minute. Many of you will know the hymn. If you know it, sing right along with me. If you don't know it, you need to learn it. All right? It goes like this. <laughs> The church of God, one body is, one spirit dwells within, and all her members are redeemed and triumph over sin. O church of God, I love thy courts, thou mother of the free the blessed home of all the saved i dwell content in thee oh if you're going to sing one verse got to sing them all listen to the second one divinely built divinely ruled to god we do submit his will her law his truth her guide Her path is glory lit. O church of God, I love thy courts. Thou mother of the free. The blessed home of all the saved. I dwell content in thee. Oh, I like this one too. I like them all. He sets her members each in place according to his will apostles' prophets teachers all his purpose to fulfill oh let's go to verse 4 now. verse 4 now here oh this is really good you ready salvation is her holy walls <laughs> The cross, her sign of power. Oh, here we go. Her captain is the mighty God who guards her every hour. Oh, church of God, I love thy courts. Thou mother of the free. The blessed home of all the saved may dwell content in thee. Can you hang on for a fifth verse? Don't get excited. You don't have anywhere anywhere to go. You got to stay right here. Ready? Verse 5. In beauty stand, O church of God, with righteousness arrayed. Put on thy strength and face thy foes with courage undismayed. Sing the chorus. O Church of God, I love Thy courts, Thou Mother of the free. Thou blessed home of all the saved, I dwell content in Thee. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. What I love about that great hymn is you can take every single line of it, even the chorus, you can take every single line of that song and you can see where it lines exactly up with the Scripture. This profound truth or this profound question of have you seen the church was asked of me and of my wife, not necessarily directly, But it's as if the Spirit of God Himself says to each blood-washed one, Have you seen the church? And when the Spirit of God opens your eyes to see the holy body of Christ, for me and for my wife, it, I don't even know what word to use, profoundly, it drastically changed our lives and changed our ministry. Here in the book of Acts, we see the church, the, the true church, the church of God. By the way, before I go any further, let me clarify. When we use that name, church of God, that's not a name that we use in superiority of anybody else or that we're the only church because we're the church of God. The reason we are called the church of God is because that, that's what Scripture calls all believers, the church of God. when when the apostles wrote their letters uh, to the different churches, they addressed them to the church of God. For instance, Ephesians is written to the church of God at Ephesus. Are you following me now? Corinthians is written to the church of God at Corinth. So we don't have any special claim to that name other than the fact it's biblical. (laughs) Imagine that. We like to be biblical. But here in the book of Acts, we see... The church, the church of God. It was a church operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a church that was on mission, taking the gospel to a lost world. It was a church excited about its Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a church committed to holiness, obedience to the word, and to, worship, to the worship of God. It was, a, it was a church that was hated by the world around, but it was steadfast in the face of horrible persecution. It was a church that was growing. In fact, the Bible says that God added to them daily. It was a church that enjoyed the manifest presence of God. It was a church described in the book of Acts was unlike anything the world had ever or will ever see again. Now, most of us here today are familiar with the modern church. But I want to tell you today that the modern church that you and I are familiar with is far removed from the church of God that we see in the book of Acts. For instance, the church in the book of Acts was a church that was united. The people loved one another. They were being persecuted for their faith and many were losing their jobs and they realized or they were even losing their homes or even their actual lives. And they realized the most important thing to them was their faith and their brothers and sisters in Christ. Many were poverty stricken, but the people in the church rallied together. They literally sold all of their possessions and gave them to the church so that they could meet the needs of other believers in the church. Acts 2 and verse 46 says that they were in one accord. Acts 4.32 says they were of one heart and of one soul. They held their faith in common. They stood with one another, not against each other. They presented a united front to the hostile world in which they lived. The church in Acts was also committed. The Bible says that they continued daily. They were so committed to their worship of the Savior that they came together every day to worship and to honor the Lord. I mean, some of y'all grumble about getting together three days a week. I can't imagine what we'd have to do if we had to get together every day, Pastor Tom. Talk about herding cats. Don't get offended. Just say amen. It's all right. It's true. They didn't just go to church one day a week. But every single day they committed themselves to being together to pray, to read the apostles' doctrine, to study the apostles' doctrine. They also were committed in the face of persecution and hatred. Stephen was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. John and Peter were arrested and beaten for their preaching in Acts Acts chapters 4 through 5. The whole church operated under the threat of persecution, jail and death. And here's what's amazing about that early church is it grew exponentially under great persecution and harm. The church at Acts, the church in Acts, was powerful. They enjoyed the power of God in their midst. They saw people saved on a daily basis. They witnessed miraculous conversions. At first, it was 3,000, and then the Bible records 5,000 people at one time were saved. You ever seen numbers like that? Now, I've been to the Billy Graham Crusade. Has anybody ever been to a Billy Graham Crusade? No. One. One. All right. Well, that's good. Two of us. Two of us, uh, brother. Two of us have been to the Billy Graham Crusade. What an experience. Of course, Billy Graham, they would have a powerful worship service. And uh, the, the year that I went, it was one of the last crusades that George Beverly Shea sang. How many of y'all remember George Beverly Shea? Yeah. He got up there and sang his signature song, How Great Thou Art, with a choir of 1,500 behind it. I'd like to have a choir of 1,500 up here. What do you think? And then Billy Graham stepped out. Oh, he was in his late 80s at the time. He stood out onto that platform and preached the gospel. And I don't know about thousands, but I definitely saw hundreds of people. Some people were running to the altar. But in the book of Acts, the Bible records that 3,000 and 5,000 people at one time were coming to be saved. It was a church that was growing. It was a church that was powerful. I mean... Not just those that were saved, but also they, the church in Acts also saw God, listen to me, deal with hypocrisy and deal with sin as He dealt with people individually in their membership. They witnessed many miracles and many manifestations of God's power. They literally saw the lame man walk. Boy, wouldn't that be exciting. They were hated by the world, but they had the power of God in their ministries. And there was so much spiritual power on this church that they were said to have turned the world upside down in Acts chapter 17. The church in Acts was also a militant church. They carried the gospel to everyone that they met. Peter and John shared the gospel with the crippled man in Acts chapter 3. When he was healed and saved, a crowd gathered and in Acts chapter, there in Acts chapter 4. So then, you know, once a crowd gathers, if you're a preacher, you've got to preach. I mean, you don't have a choice. Preach and take up an offering. Somebody say amen. I don't think they took up an offering, but, but the Bible says that after this occurred, the, the crowd was so amazed by what happened that Peter and John got up and tag-team preached. Amen. amen. I mean, tag-team preached. And it wasn't lip-wristed preaching. It was preaching. They got up and tag team preached and 5,000 people got saved. I mean, this was was the real deal. They sent out missionaries to carry the gospel around the world. They They witnessed where they lived and everywhere they went. And they literally fulfilled Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and into the outermost parts of the earth. They had the gospel and they did not hesitate to use it in a militant way. Now, I don't mean literally fighting people. What I'm talking about is the church in Acts had a personal confrontational witnessing strategy. What that means is they didn't cut people's grass for six months and then say, do you want to get saved? Oh, no. No. The first time they went to cut the grass, before they even fired up the lawnmower, they said, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Because if you don't, you're headed for a place called hell. Would you like to be saved? And people started getting saved. They couldn't deny the power of... That was upon them. They were a the church was militant. They knew how to use the weapons that God had given them. The church in Acts was feared. While they were hated by the world, they were also feared by the world. When Ananias and Sapphira were killed for lying to God, fear fell on the people because of the power of God that rested on his church. I got to thinking about that great preacher that you've heard of, Billy Sunday. You know, Billy Sunday... By the way, the reason we have Sunday school today is because of Billy Sunday. I don't know if you knew that or not. But he realized the illiteracy rate in the city of Chicago. And it broke his heart that children in the city of Chicago could not read. So he thought, I'll kill two birds with one stone. We'll bring them into into the church We'll have Sunday school. We'll teach them the gospel and also teach them how to read. Listen to this. Five years into Billy Sunday, establishing Sunday school, they're at the the Mission. What's it called? You know it. They're on the radio. Anyway, we'll get with you later on that. Don't change the channel. But anyway, City Garden Mission, that's what it's called. The City Garden Mission in downtown Chicago. They started bringing children in teaching them the gospel, and also teaching them how to read. Within five years of starting their Sunday school program, the literacy rate amongst children in the city of Chicago went up by 50%. They taught them how to read. But Billy Sunday, it was said of him that Billy Sunday would walk the streets of Chicago. Listen to this now. Listen. He would walk the streets of Chicago, and he had such a power... of. Inside of him as the spirit was moving inside of him that witnesses say that people would as he was walking down the street People would literally fall down Under conviction and repent of their sin. He didn't have to say one word. That's power. That's power They were feared You weren't going to mess with Billy Sunday Why because he had power But in our day, the church is a mere shadow of what it was designed to be. The modern church lacks many of the characteristics that made the early church such a wonderful sight to behold. The modern church is divided. We are fractured in so many different groups and denominations, Reformed, not Reformed, Protestants, I mean, you name it, you can have it. (laughs) We're split so many different ways. That was never God's desire. God only has one church. And it's all of those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Denominations, doctrines, problems, real and perceived all combined to divide the church into small isolated groups that refuse to accept those who are different and refuse to to unite around the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ I mean let me let me be frank with you there's a lot of things I disagree with a lot of the pastors here in our community a lot of things but all the ones that I choose to fellowship with the drive train the drive shaft of what they do It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Hey, as long as you're Jesus Christ and Him crucified, I can hook up with you. I'll hook up with you. I might not not agree on peripheral things. I might not agree on your interpretation of speaking in tongues. I might not agree on your interpretation of predestination, so on and so forth. But hey, if you believe in Jesus Christ and Him crucified and that's what you preach, I'll get on board with you. Why? Because God's church is to be united. It's supposed to be... A unity of a body, body of believers with one common message, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the modern church is divided. The modern church is uncommitted. Most people in our generation treat the church like it's expendable. Their commitment to the church is conditioned on their schedules, their routines, their convenience, and the whims of the moment. There's no real commitment to the mission of the church. The worship of the church, the outreach of the church, or the needs of the church. The modern church is afflicted with a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. And often, those that are in a position of leadership are the worst offenders. The modern church is also powerless. Listen to me. Lost people come into our churches all across this country each and every Sunday, and there is little to no conviction... In many cases, the people in the pews are not so different from the lost people in the world around them. Church members give little attention to prayer, daily worship, and devotion, and personal holiness. And as a result, when we gather to our, for our meetings, then we are often lifeless, powerless, and lacking in the manifest presence of God. In fact, lost people come into our doors very often... And see no difference between us and them. The church today is doing everything in its power to make itself more attractive to a lost world. We have lowered our standards. We have watered down the gospel. We've adopted a modern style of music. And we do all that we can to make the church attractive to the lost. Yet the lost are not being saved. When the world... Steps into the church. They ought to feel as though they have entered an alien world. Listen to me. Listen to me this morning. Anybody and everybody is welcome at this church. Anybody and everybody. Let me say it again. Anybody and everybody is welcome. In, one more time. Anybody and everybody is welcome in this church. Oh, but listen to me. They ought not to feel comfortable in this church. Say, what's that mean, preacher? Hey, hey, if you're living a life of sin, you're welcome here. But you ain't going to be comfortable. You're welcome, but you're not going to be comfortable. Why? Not because of me, not because of the the other people in the church, but because the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is going to be all over you. Oh, you're welcome. Sinners are welcome in church, but they ought not to be comfortable. The way we talk, the way that we dress, the way we worship, the way we preach should all leave them, leave those that are lost with an impression that we are different. The modern church is not militant. We hold our hands, we hold in our hands the precious, eternal, inerrant, infallible Word of God, yet we are ignorant of it. We have entrusted the gospel message, the very message that every lost soul in the world needs to hear. We've entrusted it with other people or other things to allow it to be perverted. Instead of taking the message of the gospel to the world, we hesitate to even share it with our friends and co-workers. And then we wonder why not many are being saved. The church is increasingly being marginalized in the world and in our society. No one cares what the church thinks about social issues. No one wants God's perspective on much of anything today. We deserve, listen to me, listen to me. Sometimes I believe we deserve the treatment that we get because we have forgotten how to take a stand for God's Word. The modern church is not militant. We have drank the Kool-Aid of political correctness. And the same Kool-Aid has poisoned our minds with the way of the world. We are afraid to take a stand for truth and against sin because we might hurt someone's feelings. The modern church is not feared. The world mocks us. They mock our Bible, our worship, and our God. When Hollywood or television portrays a Christian, they are usually portrayed as some simple-minded lunatic, psycho nut job. <laughs> they laugh at our powerlessness. They find humor in our gospel. They believe we're all hypocrites. The world doesn't fear us. Listen to me. They have no reason to. There should be such power on the people of God that while the world may hate us, they cannot deny that we have been with the Lord and that He stands with us. I am very interested in my heart's desire. And you can can ask my wife all about this. My heart's desire is that we become and work and live and act as the church of God. I'm interested in having the kind of church that is as close to possible as the type of church that we find in the book of Acts. To understand the kind of church, this kind of church, or the church here in the book of Acts, I believe we need to look at the verses that we've read today. Because this passage, Acts chapter 2, reveals for us the original design for God's church. These verses speak about the characteristics that should be the distinguishing marks of God's church. So if we dare, let's lay our church, Stanton First Church of God, let's lay it alongside the template that we see here in Acts chapter 2, and let's see how we're doing. Sound like a plan? Let's see how it lines up with God's original design. First, that was all introduction, so put your seatbelt on. First thing I want you to consider is, when it comes to God's original design of the church, number one, His church preaches the right message. His church preaches the right message. Look back with me at Acts chapter 2. Let's take a look at um, verse 22. His church preaches the right message. Well, what is that message? Well, it's the message about the Savior. Look with me at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested, attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was possible that he should be held by it. Now, what is the message about the Savior? Well, first of all, God's church preaches the right message when it comes to Jesus Christ being died, rose again on the third day. It's always, that's always the right message. I get nervous when people start messing. With the story of Jesus, I get nervous. Well, is it possible he wasn't born a virgin or born of a virgin? Well, honey, listen to me. If it's possible that he wasn't born of a virgin, then you and I are lost forever. The, right, the, 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 the church, the church that God designed, God's original design of the church, preaches the right message about Jesus Christ. Not only that He is the Savior, but also Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Now you say, preacher, I know this. I've been coming to church a long time. I know all about this. I know that you know all about this, but there was an article recently published by the Christian Post. They did a survey of... Bio, these. Listen... Bible-believing Christians. These are people that believe, or they say, they believe the Bible. Listen to me. 71% of the people in this survey who claim to be Bible-believing Christians do not believe that Jesus was God. That's why I've got to remind you. (laughs) You better not have been in that survey. Okay, you're in that other percent? All right, that's good. Listen to me now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That's John 1 1. John 14 says, And the Word became flesh. Jesus is God. But also, what this, the message, what it says about the Savior is it affirms his crucifixion and resurrection here. In the verses that we've read, Peter's preaching. I mean, he's preaching like a fool. I bet he's sweating. I mean, I bet he's got a... I don't know if they had hankies back then, but maybe he took his... They wore gowns, so maybe he took the end of his... I don't know, but he's wiping, slopping, sweating, and spitting. And boy, I tell you what, about verse 22, he starts getting fired up. And then about verse 23, he turns it up a notch. Oh, and then he gets to verse 24. Whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by... I like that right there. It was not possible. It was impossible for Jesus to be held by death. Hallelujah. That should excite... Some. I'm a little fired up today. Can you tell? That should excite somebody. But also... The church, God's church, God's original design, His church preaches the right message in what it says about sin. Listen to me. Look at verse number 23. Look at verse number 23 of the text. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Look down at verse number 36. Therefore, let all the houses of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter Peter didn't hesitate when it came to confronting sin. And the sin was, the people gathered that day, many of them were there the day that Jesus was crucified. And he's making it very clear that they have committed sin. Oh, don't you know that we as the church must proclaim the full counsel of God, meaning all of the Scripture. And yes, the Scripture is about a God who loves and who sent Jesus Christ to die for all of those that would believe in him. But we can't leave out the reason why Jesus had to die. And it was because of sin. And we must warn people of the awful penalty of sin. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. <laughs> oh, but there's a period. Isn't that right? Do you have it up there? Yeah, there's a period. For the wages of sin is... Oh, comma. That's even better. For the wages of sin is death, comma, but, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hey, listen to me, don't get offended, but that's a big but, that's a big but. But. Without the comma and the but, you and I are lost forever. So yes, the penalty of sin is death, but there's good news. <laughs> there's good news. There's eternal life through Jesus Christ. You see, a, the church that God established, the church that's God's original design is a church that warns the sinner to turn from their sins. Look at verse number 40 with me. Peter, listen. Peter was still, he was preaching like a fool. Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. I bet he was on about level nine by the time he got to be saved from this perverse generation. You see, the church that God established has a plain message that confronts sinners right where they're at. And it tells them that they need to repent. But if they will repent, they will be forgiven of their sin. And that is the good news. Oh, but you see, the church preaches, God's church preaches the right message. It preaches the right message about salvation. You see, the 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 church, God's original design of the church, always, 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 always points people to Jesus Christ for salvation. Always. Listen to me. Listen to me. I enjoy church tradition. Y'all know. Y'all know I'm old school. Y'all know that I'm old school. And you know, I like I like things that just kind of stay how they are. All right. And I have to challenge myself to, you know, it's okay. You know, it's okay. You don't have to listen to the Happy Goodman's Live 1971 from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Somebody say, man, that's good music right there. But I say, man, you don't have to listen to that all the time. You know, you can change a little bit. You can modernize. I mean, I, I, I like tradition. But listen, tradition is not, Tradition doesn't save anyone. You can come in here and and take communion till you smell like grape juice and taste like a cracker. And you'll still die and go to hell. I mean, you you can come in here. We're having a baptism today. You can come in here and get baptized till you look like a fish and still die and go to hell. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ and Him crucified and accepting His work on the cross. That's the only way a person can be saved. There is no other way. Oh, you remember this. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. But furthermore, I I might not get through the whole message, but just bear with me here. Listen now, it's not just salvation is through Jesus only, but salvation is not by the works of man. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. Nothing. Absolutely nothing to earn your salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. God's church preaches the right message. Secondly, his church is made up of the right people. Now, I, I forgot to mention this at the start of the sermon. This message today is a brief outline of the entire series that we're going to be walking through. So we're going to come back and I'm going to preach individual messages on these four points that I'm covering today. So I want to clarify with you, his church, God's church, is made up of the right people. First of all, its members are saved. Look at verse number 37 of the text with me. Now they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter says to them, verse 38, then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse number 40. And with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. One major clarification that we must make. God's church is only made up of saved people. Listen, listen. And by the way, those of you that are coming to the lunch this afternoon for uh, for you newcomers, we're going to go over some of this. But listen, listen now. I'm glad you've been coming here for 50 years. I'm glad you've been going to a church for 50 years. I'm glad you signed the membership card. That is all great, fine, and dandy. But if you have not repented of your sin and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are not a member of the church. You say, well, preacher, I give money to the church. Well, praise God, hallelujah, give some more. Uh, that's wonderful. But, but giving money to the church, you're not a member. You say, well, preacher, I mean, preacher, you know, uh, we, uh, baked, we baked cookies for, the, for, the, uh, for homecoming. Well, that's wonderful, but you're not a church member. You say, well, preacher, they had me come down, they shook my hand, I signed a piece of paper that said I was a member. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you're not a member. The only way one can be a part of the church of God, I'm not talking about Stanton first, I'm talking about the church of God. In Scripture, is to repent of their sin, accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and be baptized. That's the only way. I mean, sign, sign away if you want to. You, I, I knew a funeral director. You got, you're going to like this story. I knew a funeral director one time, Bud Brown, Brown Dawson Funeral Home in Hamilton, Ohio. He's dead, so I can talk about him. But listen, Br- Brown Dawson Funeral Home, Bud Brown, he would get so nervous that people would, would not use his funeral home. So here's what he would do. He noticed, he noticed that he could really gain some customers if he went to church, you know. So, uh, he's, one Sunday, listen, this is, boy, this is smart. One Sunday, he'd go to the Catholic Church. Yeah. Uh, What was the name of that? Big, uh, Sacred Heart Catholic Church. That was the name of it. He'd go to Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart ran about 1,500 people. He'd go there one Sunday. The next Sunday... The next Sunday, he'd go down to First Baptist in Hamilton. And then the next Sunday, he'd go, to the, he'd go to the Hamilton First Church of God, another big church there. And then, the, I mean, every week he figured this out. And guess what? Everybody thought that Bud Brown was a member of their church. And so, of course, when someone died, they, they went to Bud Brown because they thought Bud Brown went to their church. He wasn't a member of one of them. And I don't even know if he was a member, period. I don't even know if Bud Brown was saved. I hope he was. But you can go to every church in the county, but that doesn't make you a member of the church. Only a new birth. Only coming through Jesus Christ do you become a member of His church. But also, His church is made up of the right people. Not only is the membership saved, but its members are separated. Look at verse number 42 with me. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. the The Bible says the church walked in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Now, what does that mean? Well, you do realize that this Bible. When was it? When did they complete the canon? Anyway, I want to. I think it was. Well, anyway, we'll have to look it up. on Somebody Google it. But anyway, this Bible was not complete when this group in Acts was around. This wasn't complete. But what they did have is they had writings from the apostles. So Paul would have have written some writings, the other, Peter, so on and so forth. And these were, by the way, those writings ended up completing the New Testament. So, they did have some of those early writings. And so, that's what they would study. That's what they would learn from. And they they were so different because everybody else who was not a Christian was studying out of the Torah, out of the Old Testament. They would have been very strange in that day. The majority of the world of that day was studying the Torah. The majority of the population of the world were Jews or Gentiles, but the religious world was mainly made up of Jews. And so the Jews would study from the Torah. These people had come out of Judaism. They had accepted Christ as their Savior. And now they were studying something totally different. They were studying about this Jesus who had come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. They're learning about how Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Everybody else in the religious world, they were offering sacrifices. Not these people. Because Jesus was the sacrifice. They were strange. They were weird. Did you know you and I are supposed to be weird? Now, let's be real up in here. Let's let's just get real. All right? For some of us, it's really hard to be weird. And for others of y'all... It's not hard at all. Say amen right there. Don't get offended. It's just true. Don't get offended. But did you know as believers we're supposed to be weird? We're supposed to be different. Look at 2 Corinthians with me. Quickly. We're going to move quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship is righteous with lawlessness? And what Communion has light with darkness. Man, those are two profound questions. And what accord has Christ with Bele? Or what part of a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God." Do you see we have been called out? We are a different people. We don't live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, do like the world. We're supposed to be radically different. But also, God's church is made up of the right people. Its members are steadfast. Look with me now. The Bible says in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly. Its members are steadfast. These people were faithful. They showed up when it was time for worship. They each did their individual part for the common good and for the glory of God. And listen to me. God, I, some of you are going to turn me off, but it, it's all right. What, whatever. Listen to me. Listen. all. Oh, listen. all. Oh, listen to your preacher. Listen to the Spirit of God. Oh, please, please listen. God expects His people to be faithful to His house and to His work. That's what what He expects of you. I think of that old song. What's that old Kingsman song? Excuses, excuses, we hear them every day. You ever heard that? Yeah, you've heard that. It goes through a whole line of excuses. One was one was um, why why this family couldn't go to church. If somebody, the whole family had to stay home to blow the little boy's nose. <laughs> well, yeah, if he's got COVID, stay home. But anyway, <laughs> that was good. Thank you. Or or or. Another line in that song is the preacher didn't even shake my hand. So I'm not gonna go to church. Listen, I I know we're living in the era of COVID, and I know there's people with genuine health concerns and issues that have to be careful how many people they congregate with. I get all that. I understand that. But be faithful to God's house. Be faithful. Be faithful to be together with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And when it comes to the coronavirus, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of pause here and, and give you some words of wisdom. Listen to me. Listen, listen. Facebook, you're watching. Listen to me. If you, if you can make it, listen. If you're going out to eat, you're going to work, you're going shopping, you're going to the movie theater, you're going here, you're going there, but you can't make it to church. Listen, the virus is not the issue. I mean, that's just straight up. I, I talk with people I've talked with people a few times that say how they've taken these certain precautions at work so that they don't contract the virus. and, and I understand that. I get that, I respect that. Why don't you make the same precautions for God's house? I mean, there's places you can sit in here. If you come in late and leave early and you sit in a certain area, you'll never come in contact with one person. Are you Everybody all right? Don't get mad. Pray for me. But I'm just speaking truth. We've got to be committed to God's house. And I'm preaching to the choir, the ones that are gathered here. We've got to be committed. We've got to be faithful to God's house. Now, somebody will write an email or send a text or call me and say, well, you're being mean and everything, and, and I've got this, that, and I can't be there for... Fine, I'm not, I'm not harping on you if you have a genuine health issue. Just, just be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be careful. Whew, glad that's over. All right. Last, right. Let's move on. Let's move on. His church follows the right program, number three. His church follows the right program. First of all, they worshiped together as a family. Verse 42 says that they were together. They were together. They got together to worship. In fact, listen, even when Peter and John were thrown in prison for preaching and and a decree came down from from the government that they were not allowed to preach or even meet, the Bible says that they got together at Peter's house and prayed. They prayed, they worshipped. They worshipped as a family. Their common goal as the family of God was to grow in their faith and to praise and worship the Lord. Paul describes this kind of desire in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where he says, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. They wanted to know God we should want to know God and understand Him in the greatest, with the greatest degree possible as an act, not just as an act of knowledge, but by knowing Him intimately and in humble worship. Speaking of worship, there is nothing more encouraging than when the saints of God come together to praise their Redeemer. Psalm 135, we read it as our call to worship this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of His house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for He is pleasant. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. I like it when people praise the Lord. I mean, let's, let's practice. Are you ready? Everybody awake? If you're not, you're going to be awake now. Ready? Practice with me. Some, I want you all to say, Amen. Amen. That wasn't half bad. Do that again. Amen. Oh, that's good. Now, now, let me hear you say, hear you say Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, you all can do that. Boy, that's pretty good. <laughs> I remember... I remember this old fellow in West Virginia where my dad passed. He'd say it like this. He wouldn't say amen. He'd say, hey, man. Hey, man. I mean, you got to put a little, on. hey, man. I mean, that, that's like a Holy Ghost amen. You know what I'm saying? And then if you're really, if you're really from the mountains of West Virginia, it's not hallelujah. It's hallelujah. Huh? Say amen right there. Hallelujah! I mean, that's 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 got Holy Ghost all over. Hallelujah. Hey, man! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Worship. I'm not saying you got to hoop and holler and scream and yell. What I am saying is that put some voice behind your worship. Amen. Amen. Well, moving on. Fourthly, and lastly, as Lisa and Julie, Kuhn. not only does his church follow the right program of worship, worshiping the Lord, they, they follow the right program of working together as a team. They work together to witness as saints to a lost world. But fourthly, God's design or God's original design for the church His church obeys the right Lord. Look at verse number 41 with me. Then those who gladly received His Word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now look at verse number 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Listen to me. The Lord that we serve, the Lord who has saved us from our sin, he is a powerful Lord. And the church was made up of the right kind of people carrying out the right kind of ministry. Why? Because they knew that their Lord and Savior was more powerful than any foe that they would ever face. They knew that their Savior could save a lost sinner. They knew that their Savior could heal the crippled. And they were confident In the power of their Lord. And because they were confident in the power of the Lord and the Lord displayed that power through them, the Scripture says that they were feared by the world. Why? Because they had power. But not only does His church obey the right Lord, the Lord who is powerful, but also their Lord who is personal. Their Lord was personal to them. They had a personal experience with the Lord. As Matthew 22 says, they loved the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and strength. They loved the Lord. They pursued a relationship with the Lord. And everything everything else they did was a result of their love of their Master. And it should be the same for us today. Hey, friend, thanks again for listening. I hope this message was a blessing to you. For more information about our church, go to our website at www.stantonfcog.com. You can also join us on Facebook at Stanton First Church of God. If this message helped you in any way, hit the share button below. Thanks again for listening, and always remember God loves you, and so do I.